Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What really happened on the bank of the Pascagoula River in Mississippi 45 years ago this month? How was this different from other alien abduction reports? How did it affect the lives of the two eyewitnesses? Hello and welcome to the 764th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on uh, WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, and our uh, 11th year on the air as well. I'm Ben, and those far-out questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal and my dad, Paul. And today we bring you an eyewitness uh, to one of the most remarkable UFO incidents in American history, and we welcome your calls today. The numbers are 401-766-1240, and that is from anywhere. And uh, we also accept emails as well. Sounds like we accept credit cards. Uh, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for those. Born in 1954, Calvin Ray Parker Jr. is the author of Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter from Flying Disc Press, recently released. On October 11, 1973, along with 42-year-old co-worker Charles Hickson, 19-year-old Calvin experienced one of the most significant UFO alien encounters of the 20th century. Today, he lives in Moss Point, Mississippi. So, Calvin Parker, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. So, let's uh, sort of start with something simple, but not quite so simple. Tell us what happened to you and uh, Mr. Hickson on October 11th, 1973. Well, we had got off work at the F.B. Walker and Son Shipyard, and it was hot for an October day, so we decided to go fishing and kind of cool down a little bit before we went home and ate supper and uh, just kind of relaxed a little bit. So we got went and got our fishing equipment and went to an old abandoned shipyard in a grain elevator, and uh, we made it down to the water on the Paspagula River, and that's where uh, we we started our big adventure for the day. Little did we know what was going to happen. I remember pulling up and looking, and there was a trespassing sign that said, No trespassing, but Charlie said it would be fine. Let's go on down, and we'll get on our pier and go fishing. It was an old abandoned shipyard. So we struggled down through all the mess, all the high weeds and things, and made it to the riverbank and started fishing. And I was facing the water, looking at a ship across the water and wondering how in the world, in my mind, I was sitting there thinking, how does steel float? This big steel ship sitting out here, how in the world does all this steel float as heavy as it is? And that's when I noticed some blue hazy lights coming out across the water. And uh, actually, to be honest with you, I thought it was probably the law because they have blue lights on their cars and it kind of favored a blue light. I th- said, well, the law's pulled up behind us and they're going to make us move from here. So we stood up about the same time Charlie and I did and turned around and faced the craft just to see what was going on. And then all at one time, the lights got bright. You'd never seen lights this bright in your whole life, or I hadn't. And that's when uh, I figured the door on the craft must have opened up. And out came three unnatural-looking beings. It's really hard to describe them. They was probably four and a half, five foot tall had grayish-looking skin. Now, I didn't see them until they got just about on us because we were still kind of blind, or I was still kind of blind. 
But when they got up close, you could tell they didn't really have a neck, and they was kind of gray-looking, and their skin was real wrinkled, kind of like a uh, elephant or a manatee that you look at. And one of them grabbed, two of them got a hold of Charlie, and one got a hold of myself, and that's when they more or less levitated us off the ground. And I felt a puncher mark, and the fear that I had, it, I was extremely scared when I first seen them, and all the fear that I had just immediately left. And I figured they probably gave me some kind of a tranquilizer or uh, something to settle me down, but it paralyzed me. The only thing I could move was my eyeballs. I could move them, and I could hear everything, and I could see, but I just couldn't turn my head or, or move any parts of my body. And we was facing the craft, and they took us aboard, or was taking us aboard. Now I lost complete sight of Charlie during all this time. All I remember is the door getting closer. I could see the door and all the lights that was coming out. And as we got in, I remember looking to see if I could see some kind of lights because it was just still real blinding, the lights were. And... uh they looked like they was illuminating out of the walls on the inside. I didn't see any kind of fixtures. So they kind of turned left, took me down a little hallway, and then made a right and took me into a little room. And they laid me back on something. Now, I don't know. I'm not real sure if it was a table or or what it was, but I do know that I was laid back down on something because I was still at about a, 45 degree angle and I was looking up toward the ceiling and that's when I noticed there was something that come out of the ceiling about the size of a deck of cards and it got just about a foot and a half, two foot in front of my face and it started revolving around my head and each time it got to a certain point of my head it would stop and click and it did that four times and I figured it stopped at my right ear then behind my head my left ear then went to the front of my face again and it stopped and then it just shot back up into the ceiling like uh, just disappeared you couldn't see it on the ceiling or nowhere else so after that there was this uh, I could hear just a little scruffling noise but uh, I couldn't see nothing this creature or soldier what I really call them kind of backed up against the wall and and stood back out of the way and this uh, feminine looking creature came out and I just sensed I didn't I don't know that it was a female but you know how a male can sense a female and a female can sense a male regardless of where you are in a room or they're human or what they are I just sensed that there was a female presence there. And I looked and it tried to roll my eyes to look because I still couldn't turn my head to see what she kind of looked like. But the only thing I could really tell was her hands because she was grabbed me by the jaw and she had fingers and all that looked normal. And the other creature that took me out had like mittens on or... uh, crab-like hands, what I call them. But she had fingers, and she grabbed me by the cheek, and she 
run one of her fingers down my throat and try to come up my nasal cavity a little bit and feel it. And then I was starting to come to and get where I could move a little bit, and I was finching and moving. And just out of the clear, it's just like she talked to me, but her mouth didn't move. She said, have no fear, we're not going to hurt you. And that did, it kind of helped calm me a little bit, but it still, you know, it was still really scary. And then when that happened, she just backed up out of the way and the other one come in. And I heard like a mumbling that come out of her throat. It was just a low grown mumble. And he got a hold of me by the arm again, or it did. And I felt like an injection again and carried us back out to the river, put me down at the river, facing the river with my arms stretched out. Then that's the only time I heard Charlie. He said, son, son, you okay? And he must have been behind me saying that because immediately I turned around just in time to see the bright lights go off. And this thing just kind of picked up off the ground. And when it left, it left. You couldn't see it anymore. It was up in the air. So that is pretty much the abduction thing. But it was so much more that come after this. We, uh, I was getting ready to leave. Charlie said, no, let's sit out here. Let's talk about this. And I figured, well, you know, they didn't get us in. We might as well sit down and talk. And I told him, I said, look, Charlie, I, I don't want nobody to know. This didn't happen. I don't want nobody to know about this. You don't need to tell nobody. I just got this job at the shipyard with you and worked one day. And I sure don't want to lose my job for them thinking I'm crazy. I'm engaged to get married in November, and this was October. And I don't want her daddy to think I'm a nut job. And I said, when I go home and anybody hears about this, that's all I'm going to hear for the rest of my life around there. Yeah. So he said, okay, we won't tell nobody. That's when we got up and we started walking. We picked our fishing equipment up. And this was all real calm, you know, after this. Uh, before was scary moments, you know. You, there wasn't nowhere to run or nothing to do. And you, well, I couldn't run. They had us hemmed up in a place where it was just nothing you could do but run to them if you did so we walked back to the car it took us a few minutes to get back there Charlie started walking over to the passenger side because I had drove my car and I looked through the door when I was looking in the window the side windows on uh, the passenger side of the car which was facing the craft was just all shattered in place now, they hadn't fell out yet. They did that when he opened the door and closed it. But at, at the time that we was there, the, the glasses was just shattered in place. And later on, I found out that they put a safety glass in cars so they won't shatter like that. Yeah. It's a p- piece of plastic or something inside them that holds them. So he closed the door and the glass fell out on that side. And I sat there probably 15 minutes trying to crank the car, and actually I had already gave up on it before it cranked. Now, in 73, that was a brand-new car. I had less than 20,000 miles on it. So I had never had trouble with it cranking or trying not to. And uh, we did get it cranked and turned around and started to leave. 
and it run real rough, but it still got us out and made it to a uh, store. Now, what people don't realize, what a lot of the younger generation don't realize, in 1973, you didn't have cell phones. You had old dial phones. <laughs> I remember. They, yeah. You went in a phone booth or out on the front of a store, they had them hanging. And so we we didn't have no concept what time it was because we worked with steel in a shipyard and a sledgehammer. So you couldn't wear a watch. If you did, it would be wore out or broke by the end of the day. So we made it to this cell phone outside of a store. Now, we didn't go in the store because 6 o'clock in the state of Mississippi, the blue light laws kick in effect, or then they did. Mm-hmm. And for the people that don't know what a blue law was, you weren't allowed to sell anything after 6 in the evening unless it was food. So the curb stores, you know, they sold beer and gas and things like that to keep a business open. They really wasn't in the food business. So the sidewalks rolled up at 6 o'clock every <laughs> evening. So we was at this store, and uh, Charlie said, I got to call somebody. I said, oh, no, no, no. Remember, we're not going to tell nobody. This didn't happen. Let's go home, Charlie. I was still worried and all, and uh, but I didn't want to tell nobody. I didn't want to go see nobody. I just wanted to go home, go to bed, take a shower and go to bed. He said, we got to call somebody. So he got a phone, him being a little older than I am, I tried to listen to him. And he went to the phone. He called Keystone Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And they had told him, we don't deal with UFO abductions or any kind of UFO things anymore in the Air Force. Now, I didn't know what a UFO abduction was or a UFO was, to be honest with you. When he came back to the car and told me they didn't deal with that, I was wondering, well, what in the world's a UFO or what? what is an abduction? Because what people don't realize, I was a little country boy from the state of Mississippi, and the biggest thing I did was haul pulpwood and walk behind a mule all day plowing a garden. Hmm. And I didn't have much education. I quit school and... You know, it, it was just a hard, it, a good life, but it was a pretty hard life back then. You worked hard for what you got. You didn't sit around in the house and watch TV. And you didn't have these little games they have. There was no social media whatsoever. And as far as I know, NASA's the only one that had a computer, and it was probably as big as my house to get anything done where you could take something the size of a pocket watch and do it now. So... He called Keesler, and that's what they told him, to call his local authorities. So Charlie called the local sheriff department, because that was the local authorities. Well, the old boy that answered the phone, he said, uh, he kind of giggled at him a little bit when Charlie told him what had happened. He said, y'all wait right there, I'll be right there. And it wasn't just a few minutes when he hung the phone up, a patrol car come pulling up, and they, uh, Walked over to Charlie's side, then to my side, and looked in the windows to see, you know, maybe probably what we had in there. He asked me to step out and did a field sobriety test. And uh, 
I'm sure there's a lot of people know what that is. If, if you're drinking or they think you're drinking, they make you stand on one foot and jump up and down, bend back, touch your nose, count to ten, and all that good stuff. And he said, well, you look okay to drive. Follow us to the sheriff's department. We want to talk about this a little more. Hmm. So that's what we did. We got in the car and cranked it and followed them to the uh, sheriff's department in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And they split us up into separate rooms. And when we went into these uh, rooms, they interrogated us different. Then they put us back into one room together. But little did we know that they had a tape recorder inside this room. And what they was trying to do, what I found out just not too long ago, they was wanting to listen to us talk to each other to see if we'd laugh about or talk about this being a hoax. But we didn't. You know, what What was on the tape convinced them 100% that something had happened. And I had heard a copy. I've read about copies of the tape. I never heard a copy of the tape. Hmm. And uh, the other day when we had the book signing, you know, that, the the original detective that come out to the job, he's retired now, was telling me about the fear that he heard on the tape and all. Oh, all right. I'm going to interrupt you for a second there, Calvin. Uh, Ben's going to hold up a picture of the uh, the most common artist rendering of what Calvin and uh, Charlie saw. And uh, for those of you who are watching uh, on a device other than a radio, hopefully you'll be able to see this picture. And, uh, again, uh, alien abduction, Pascagoula, 1973. Okay. Now, Charlie, um, the next picture Ben's going to hold up, uh, I sent you last evening, and you had never seen it before. We got hold of it, uh, well, over a year ago. We were working on our, our last book, uh, which is Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, and there's a chapter on humanoids. And we didn't include the picture because we didn't get permission to, but I sent you this picture last night because it reminded me of the cre- of the description of the creatures that came out of the craft when uh, you you had your uh, incident, and it, it was taken supposedly by a sheriff's deputy on the same day that your incident occurred in 19 October of 73, and it was taken uh, as, a, as by a sheriff's deputy about 150 miles away from where you were in uh, Louisiana. Well, what was your impression when you saw this picture the picture actually when i seen the picture i got goosebumps uh because it had a lot of similarities to what i seen now one thing i noticed and i studied the picture right after y'all sent it and i had a little time to look at it the beings that picked us up i didn't see no difference in the legs you know they was all together you couldn't even really see a crease Hmm. You could see a little crease where they went together, and this creature was standing with his legs apart. But that don't mean that they wouldn't come apart and he could walk natural. Uh, yeah. But this really looked a lot like what I had seen that night, and it was really scary. Now, the other little creature, the female creature I was talking about, looked completely different than that. I think these were soldiers that come out of robots because the way they moved, it was just all mechanical looking. And you know how you can look at something and it looks like it just moves, not not by thinking, but just by 
it's hard to describe by movement yeah. no, like it's supposed yeah. to. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that was going to be one of our questions was, do you think these could have been mechanical? You know? I definitely, I definitely think they probably was mechanical. The, uh, the soldiers or the, the big ugly one, as I call it. Yeah. Well, the, uh, there's also information that, that we have. Maybe you could set us straight if it's not correct, but we understand that, and Ben, you, this is actually one of your questions, but. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was, well, I was, I was going to say, um, we understand that other people in the area saw the UFO as well. Is that correct? They were. We had a lot of eyewitnesses. The sheriff's department got, uh, that same night had a lot of different eyewitnesses call in. Well, when we reported what had happened to Charlie and I, they, uh, 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 when they had called in, they went and talked to these people. So, uh, you know, there were a lot of witnesses there. Okay. Now, there are a couple of things about, there were a lot of things about this case that are really fascinating. One is that usually when, an abduction incident occurs, people's memories are erased. But, but you maintained all memories of, or at least some of them. I mean, were there things that could have happened that you don't remember? I mean, But you do seem to remember the, the basic parts of the incident, which is unusual. I pretty much remember most everything that uh, had went on. But, uh, you know, some of it was brought back in uh, regress hypnosis. Oh, so you were hypnotized. Okay. I, can you tell I us was about hypnot- that? I can. Back in uh, 1993, I actually uh, went to see Bud Hopkins. Oh. And he re- yeah, we knew yeah. Bud. And uh, I didn't know Bud from anybody, but I had a friend that uh, that knew Bud Hopkins, and he suggested that I would go see him because he might be able to help bring out something. So it... I, I didn't realize that I was hypnotized then. And then in the book, they, uh, when I, when, when I did the book, Philip was able to get a hold of the original tape. And on this original tape, uh, he, he transcribed it into the book. And it shocked me when I seen it that I was even hypnotized. But what had happened, Bud had put a post-hypnotic suggestion in my head that uh, I wouldn't remember this till I was able to handle it. And that started bringing back memories. I went out, my wife was on the porch, and I went out and told her, I said, I was hypnotized. I didn't really realize it. But then it looked like about a three, four-hour session here. And when I started reading it, then I stopped because I didn't want for this to put anything into my head and made her remember it through reading this book instead of remembering it on my own. Okay. All right. That's, um, I didn't realize you'd been hypnotized. Um, did you see any, well, one of the things that we do, Calvin, is to, is to look at other phenomena that may have occurred in addition to what you uh, experienced. And you indicate that there were incidents that occurred after this as well. Um, We're almost on the break now, but if you could start telling us about that, uh, UFO incidents that may have occurred afterwards, or or this not being the only thing that happened to you in Pascagoula. Yes, sir. 
Well, this is one reason that I went to see Bud is uh, because of some missing time. What had happened, I loaded up one day. This was in 93. I told my wife, I said, I'm going fishing. I'm going to Cat Island, and but I will be home before dark. And so she fixed me a lunch, and I left, got my boat, and left and went to the island. And I was sitting there, and I still didn't have a watch on because I've never wore one. And I'm just imagining it was lunchtime because my stomach said, sit down here and eat your lunch. And I sat down, and I was going to eat my lunch, fish a little while, wait on a tide change. And the next thing I knew, it was 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and black dark. And, you know, you wake up under them conditions, you don't know what has happened or where you've been. Well, I had all this missing time when I got back, and I didn't know how to explain it to myself, to nobody else. So a friend of mine that had come to see us at the house was there when I got in. And uh, he was actually a quite intelligent person because he had helped invent medical equipment and all this. So he had a good education about him, was really smart. And he also lived in Tampa, and that's when Blood Hopkins was speaking in Tampa. And he had seen it advertised, and he told me, he said, Bud's in, Bud Hopkins is in Tampa. Well, I didn't know Bud Hopkins from anybody, but he knew him. And that was the reason that we left and went to Tampa. And I let him go in. Bud was in a conference, and I said, I don't want to see this man in there because he don't know me, but I do want to talk to him because he had a book out missing time. So uh, he went in, and Bud told him, I'll be through in an hour. Yeah, I want to talk to him. Y'all meet me at my motel room in about an hour. So he gave us his key card, and we went on to the motel in Tampa and waited on Bud, and he showed up. And he introduced himself. And, of course, you know, we knew, or he knew of me, but I didn't know of him. And uh, he suggested that he hypnotize me, and he might could learn or find out a little something about what had went on. And this was... uh since then, you know, I've read it and I've started my memory process in it, and I'm down to remembering where, you know, what all had happened then. And, you know, I just kind of put it on the back burner, and I really didn't know it when I wrote this book. So it went into the book through the hypnosis. Uh, the, the publisher of the book, Philip Mendale, when he got the tape, he put this part into the book. But I never actually knew about it until it went into the book and I had started reading. Now my memory's back with it. Okay. Well, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break now and we want to talk about the book when we get back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. Uh, and we're talking with our fascinating guest, Calvin Parker, about the Pascagoula incident of 1973. We'll be right back, so stay with us. Hi, this is Joe Callahan, host of Coffee Ann, the longest-running panel discussion show in American radio. You never know what topic will pop up on Coffee Ann. So join us weekday mornings 8 to 9 on ON 1240 WOON Socket Radio. ON Radio. 
Okay, welcome back. Behind the Paranormal, uh, there are a number of uh, charities that we have adopted on the show. We'll talk about that during the announcement period at the end. And uh, let's get back to our discussion with Calvin Parker, eyewitness to the Pascagoula UFO abduction incident of 1973 in Mississippi. Uh, now, before we get right into our discussion, uh, Calvin, uh, we're burning up this hour, so please uh, give us uh, the word on, on your, your new book, which, and we don't want to neglect our good friend Philip Mantle from England, who's your co author and publisher so could tell us about the book where people can get it and also about your website and anything else you'd like to mention the book is paspagola the closest encounter my story calvin parker and you can get it through amazon now the paspagola the is carrying a few copies of it now you know that uh they get some and a lot of people's been ordering through there but anyhow, Amazon's the closest place to get it. Okay, very good. Okay, so let's get back. And you have a website, I understand? I do. It's the Flying Disc website, and it's on Philip Mandel's webpage, but it's in his website, the Flying Disc, www.com, Flying Disc something. I'm not real sure. Okay. Well, we have a link on our website to that. Uh, also, there's a link on our website to the photographs we mentioned in case people didn't see, didn't see the video feed. Uh, if you go to behindtheparanormal.com, uh, to upcoming shows and then underneath the listing for this one, which is at the top, uh, there's a uh, red link, uh, that will take you to the talking points page and there are the photographs there. So uh, let's talk a little more, Calvin, about your interview at um, Keesler Air Force Base. Um, how did they find out ab- about this incident? From the police? Uh, yes, sir. I went back to work. Charlie and I... Oh, Charlie had up, called him, yeah. Right. We had got up and went back to work the next day. Well, I had some concerns about... Uh, uh, my health and spreading bacteria not really mine but I didn't want anybody to get some kind of disease or something from uh, maybe what went on so when we went back to work the people we worked for said it's just too much distraction here y'all need to go do something well I had talked to them about how I felt about bringing radiation and diseases and they said, well, we got an attorney, Joe Camingo, and we're going to let him come in and give a press release and set up appointments for y'all. So they set up an appointment with a local hospital, which in turn set up an appointment with Keesler for a radiation check. And that's how we ended up at Keesler. They drove us to Keesler, and they escorted us right on in the gate. I mean, we didn't stop or nothing. They had a patrol car, and they just took us to the back. Hmm. And there was several men there that had on these uh, radiation suits and guider counters, and they checked us for radiation. And when they said, all clear, they said, well, we need to see y'all inside. And that's when they escorted us down a long hall and into a conference room. And it was uh, a lot of officials. There was a lot of brass in there, you know, uh, high-ranking officials. Plus, it was some of the local officials like mayors and things like that in really? the police department. Yes, sir. Hmm. And they was extremely nice. I mean, they didn't try to crowd us up. They just asked us what happened, and we told them. And uh, they more or less just act like they believe it. Now, whether they did or not, I don't know, but they acted like they did. And they turned us loose. 
and they took us back to work or escorted us back to work. Okay. The medical concerns, that's another question we had. We always wonder when people have these encounters with what, what seem to be aliens, uh, you know, you wonder about, you know, when the Europeans came to America and infected the natives with all these diseases, how come that didn't happen in the case of all these abductions? You know, did they, did the, whoever they were take steps so you wouldn't get infected with these diseases you would have no immunity to and that sort of thing. So, um, that, that was very, very, very sharp of, of you to think of that in the beginning because that, that's a real problem or could be, you know, yeah. so, yeah. So, uh, um, I'm, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I believe it is. I know I went home that night and I pulled all my clothes off and I got in a sh- put them in a paper bag, shoes, everything, even the cap I had on. And uh, I poured bleach over me, a gallon of bleach, and got into the shower and washed it off. That's how concerned I was about it. Yeah. Very, Charlie very was sensible. about it. Yeah. All right. When you were being interviewed by the um, people at Kiesler, uh, did you get the impression they were concerned that this could be a Russian craft? I think they was kind of like us. I think they was concerned that it was something, but they didn't know what. Mm-hmm. And I believe probably that they investigated pretty thoroughly after we left. Now they didn't say so. I know Philip had uh, put in for the Information Act here not long ago freedom of information and they just kind of stopped it blanked it and said they didn't have no no information on us but you know we had got the original documents from there when they originally did this through the uh sheriff department of local law enforcement so you, you know they denied it for nothing for some reason all right now now this may be a funny question calvin but when you saw the craft from the outside and then went in, did it seem bigger on the inside than you would have thought looking at it from the outside? You know, actually, it really didn't because I was just kind of localized in one section. Now, uh, the hallway, when you first went in the door, went two ways. I figured they took me into like the sick, if it's such thing as a sick bay or something. That's probably where I went. I went to the left, but you could tell to the right. I couldn't see that way because I couldn't turn my head, but you could tell it was a lot more to it there. But the scope of the room when you got in, the depth of the room looked pretty big to me. So Mm. it did look pretty large. Yeah, okay. We understand that this case attracted the attention of one of the the most remarkable UFO experts of the time, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Uh, I didn't know him, but I met him once. Um, how did he get involved? The next day, uh, this was on October 11th, the 12th, the 13th, John Allen Hynek got his own dime when he heard about it through the media. He flew, him and Dr. Allen Harder, uh, I mean, Dr. Harder flew down on their own money just to talk. And he gave us a pretty intent interview at the shipyard that day and then later on at his room. And he went out to the scene and investigated. Now, what he found or if he even found anything, I don't know. Okay. But he was originally hired by the Air Force early in the UFO era in the 50s to debunk it. And then he ended up coming to the conclusion that UFOs were real. And probably from other planets. 
So that was an interesting uh, situation with him, but he was involved here too. Now, let's expand our discussion a little, Calvin, if we could. Uh, what uh, Have you ever had any other, you or Charlie that you know of, John Charlie passed away in 2011, but uh, any other reports, uh, uh, any other experiences that you might call paranormal, you know, ghosts or, uh, you know, uh, strange creatures, things of that kind, something other than UFOs, uh, have you had that those kinds of experiences in your life? I have when I was younger, and I relate this back to the year that John F. Kennedy got killed because that that's the closest thing I could remember. My brother and I used to have to share a room because we had a small house, and uh, he woke up screaming one night that there was a ghost messing with my ears, and I did hear something blowing in my ears and all, but he said he actually seen it. Now, he's not one that would carry a story or a film. Now, he might get afraid, you know, because he was a kid like I was. Well, it woke me up. And uh, I did feel a presence around then when I was smaller. But the rest of the time, you know, you it's just one of these deals where you're walking through your house and you kind of get a glance of something or you think that you get a glance of something. You're not real sure about it. Mm-hmm. Or feel a presence. Okay. Have uh, have any members of your family uh, over the years reported any UFO experiences? No, sir, they hadn't. Okay. Let's move to a question from a listener here. Uh, ben, this is from our good friend. Uh, we, we usually don't give last names, but this is our good friend Michelle Mitchell, Mitchell from Mitchell Comics, uh, a very dear friend of ours with her, her husband, Michael. Ben, what does Michelle want to know? So Michelle wants to uh, know, and she says, I was reading about the uh, Pascagoula incident this morning, and I saw that as of 2013, there was no historical marker in a place to recognize the abduction of Mr. Hickson and Mr. Parker. I was wondering if Mr. Parker is comfortable with that, or would he like to see a marker at the fishing spot? Well, now this is something that's just come up. The city of Pascagoula is working on it, and they will have the marker up by April, what I understand. They, uh... We had a book signing the other day, and they was wanting to have a little marker with a statue and and all, and put up right there and make a historical site. But that's private property, so they're in the process of getting permission from the owner to do it. Okay. Hmm. All right. There we go. Uh, one thing that I think maybe we ought to point out to the audience, uh, Calvin, is that it, it may, and you and I are about the same age. Uh, I think I'm a year older than you are. And in those days, in the 70s, when I was starting out in this field and in journalism, th- there were very few people who would want anyone to know about an experience like this. Today, everyone wants to have their own TV show and maybe make a few bucks with this, but that wasn't the case then. People were very afraid of ridicule. Uh, and you yourself said that, that you didn't, you know, you were in a new job and you didn't want to uh, have people think you were crazy. Um, what 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 are your thoughts on that? How things have changed as far as that's concerned uh, from those days to this? As far as people maybe today not caring about the ridicule and and maybe uh, being more forthcoming about this sort of stuff. Well, I think a lot of it social media might have changed it, like Facebook and all this. because yeah. back then you had three TV stations. You didn't have no way that people communicated between themselves. That's right. Uh Nowadays, everybody likes to run, I, I run their fingers, what I say, and get into everybody's business so they get on their damn, their little bitty computer there and type in, <laughs> want to yeah. know what everybody's doing. Yep. 
and I, I'm guilty of it as well. I didn't even have a computer up until I did the book thing. Well, I had one, but nothing, you know, just to kind of look up different things. Mm. But now I catch myself on Facebook every day. Yeah, don't we all? It's kind of one of those things. Now, I'm thinking of Travis Walton and his experience from only two years after yours, and he was uh, abducted, although it was a different, seems to be a different kind of ship and different kind of creatures. And over the years, Travis has, uh, at least so he's told us, has, has changed his opinion about what the purpose of his abduction was. And it's hard to take an alien mind, if, if that's what it was, and, and turn and, you know, and wonder what they were really motivated by. But Travis thinks that instead of trying to just do experiments on him, they were trying to help him because he walked into their energy field and got knocked out or something like that. So a question uh, for you, Calvin, is over the years, uh, have you thought about what the purpose of these creatures was with you and Charlie? And uh, do you still believe it was just medical experiments or, or, or what? What do you think the purpose was? I don't think it's no big purpose out there. Uh, I believe we probably, in the early stages, were just medical experiments like everybody. I feel like sooner or later that it's going to be a deal where we all have to come to one planet and kind of stay around. And they just want to know what they're more or less up against. Or, or maybe, you know, because we're like, we're like animals to them in a way, you know, like uh they do research on, we do research on animals, and I feel like that's kind of what we are to them, laboratory experiments. Okay. Yeah, like kind of like lab rats or something. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, th- that seems to be a, a prominent opinion. One thing that strikes us about this case also, and we, we brought this up before, is that they, the, the difference in these creatures compared with most uh, other reports, you know, people will talk about, you know, the greys and uh, those seem to be kind of common and uh, other things that might be mechanical or might not. But but creatures that look like this, especially if it was the same one that was in the photograph that was taken that day uh, in the, the neighboring state of Louisiana. Uh, why? I don't know. Maybe you don't have an opinion on this, but it just has it struck you that, that th- this case is very different as far as the kinds of creatures that were involved? Well, it has, but I try to base it up like uh, living here on Earth. You know, you you have different people from different cultures that look different. You know, basically, we all the same. We all have a soul and should be compassionate toward each other, but we not. And uh, you know, you have mean people and you have good people, and I feel like this kind of falls in that same category. Okay. Now, I studied in the seminary for many years. I was never ordained to to the priesthood or the ministry, but people find out about this and they always ask, do I think that the alien phenomena, or at least some of it, is demonic? You know, it's somehow, uh, I think that a lot of of times it's not what it appears to be. But my question to you would be, in, in your experience, did you feel that there was anything evil about these creatures? Well, I did for a long time. And until I got to really thinking about it, then it, I just let it. I had rather think that it's uh, more on a curiosity stage than demonic. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I, I can accept that. If um, Ben or I were to, well, maybe we have a little more experience than some people, but if some people were to have, if anyone was to have an experience like this tonight, all right, 
um, and they were with someone or not with someone else. What would your advice be to them about do they need to seek help uh, from experts or who would, who would you suggest or how, how would you suggest they react to an experience like this? Because a lot of people have had these things happen and they don't talk about it and then they come to us years later and say they just can't keep it inside and that sort of thing. What, what's your advice to other experiencers? First thing they need to do is sit down and write down everything that happened word for word. Don't change nothing to make it better. Write it down exactly how it happened. Document it in any way they can. Get it if you can take a photo or something. Then of course you know that would be great. But get all kind of documentation. All you know, right? What time? Where? What they look like? Any evidence that you can pick up. Write all of it down. Then take it and get some professional help. Maybe find somebody that's in this that can get get help through law enforcement or doctors or whatever they can. But documentation. Okay, um, we would certainly agree with that. But would add, be very careful who you consider to be an expert. There are a lot of people out there who say they're experts, but really aren't. Mm. You know that that sort of thing. Exactly right. Calvin, did you stay in touch with Charlie over the years? As we say, he passed in 2011. But well, we t- not really stayed in touch, but. I went back to Laurel, and he lived in Sandersville, that, uh, or lived in Pascagoula, but he had a place in Sandersville, and he'd go back home. But every now and then, we would bump into each other, or our paths would cross, but we never talked about this again, never said a word, because I was harboring a lot of hard feelings, because I thought he was the one that broke the news to start with. Mm. So, you know, I didn't want nothing to do with it or him anymore, really. All right. We have a question uh, from another listener, uh, our good friend Susan Spooler, who's been on the show as a dowser. And what is Susan asking? Sure. Uh, Susan writes to us. Uh, when they brought him to the exam room on the craft, uh, did he walk in or did they float him in, as, as in levitate him in? I was levitated all the way to the table. And I, when we went in, I went in facing the table, but they rotated me around and laid me on the table, so I was floated in because I, I couldn't move any, you know, move at all. Okay, um, Ben, did you have anything at this point? Because I'm looking at another possible question. Uh, this is this is not for Calvin. Okay, so you're mentioning uh, your your mind changed over, over time about the sort of the motives of the of these creatures. Now, what was kind of like the key driving factor to, to make you think it was more curiosity than you know something malevolent? It was so hard for me to live with after this. And even there for a while, I even remember stating to a reporter somewhere that they were demons. They was from hell and didn't want nothing to do with them, you know, And because uh, I had been worried so much about it. But then I got to thinking, you know, we've got to face this in reality the way that it is. They let me live. uh they didn't really hurt me. I mean, they scared me. But other than that, you know, I'm fine. And I feel like they might have uh, come back a time or two. And actually, at one time, I think that they had a transmitter in me, and they come back and got it out. Hmm. How did this affect your personal life? You mentioned that you were about to get married when this occurred, uh, and there's information. How did this affect your personal life, and how well, has it affected it? One thing about it, 
everybody that I knew, nobody talked to me about it. Not my family, not my friends. My wife, me and her had never talked about this up until probably a year ago when we sat down and started talking about a book. And her and Philip is actually the ones that encouraged me to do a book. I wasn't going to do a book, period. Still have my regrets in ways about doing it because I don't like uh, getting involved with all this again. But I'm, I'm obligated to it now. And if I could do this book and help people that's been through this in any way, then I want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people going through this by themselves no more. There's one thing I wanted to ask you previously. We talked about the medical uh, possibilities uh, of these these incidents. Have you, uh, just carrying on from that discussion, have you had over the years anything uh, any medical condition or, or oddity that you think might be traceable to this incident? I know that's just speculation, but have you suspected? I have. I used to have frequent nosebleeds. nosebleeds. I would be somewhere and it'd just start bleeding. And I'm not talking a little bit, almost a hospital, go to the hospital to get it to stop bleeding. Mm. And, and I feel like that goes back to uh, to this in some way. Okay. Do you you mentioned a, an implant or a tracking device um, that may have been placed in you during the uh, experience on the craft? How long do you feel that you had that, and when, when do you feel it was removed? I think I think that's what happened in '93. I believe it was a major malfunction or something in it, and they came back and tried to remove it. And if if anybody get the book and it'll read the hypnosis part where I was hypnotized, describing step-to-step what had happened. This creature, or this female creature, had put their finger down through my mouth and come in my nostrils and was pulling it out. And that's when I started bleeding profusely. And, I mean, it, it was a lot of pain involved in that. And I actually, me and her got into a physical confrontation on the craft or wherever we were, and she was bleeding, and I was bleeding, and I had DNA evidence on my shirt. And why I didn't keep that shirt, of course, I didn't know what DNA was back then. Yeah. But if I had kept that, I feel like it might have been a clue right there. But, uh, you know, it was a lot of blood passed around between me and her both because we physically got into it. What Did her blood look human? I mean, it, in the sense it was red, I guess. That's... No, her blood was black. Really? When I when I seen it, so you could tell a difference on my shirt. I I wore white t shirts back then, and you could tell her blood was a lot darker than what my was. And uh, we we got into it real serious until this old big ugly one, as I called it, come back in there and grab me by the arm again, and must have injected injected some kind of muscle relaxer or something in me where I couldn't do nothing. But I had it made up in my mind. I was over all this. Me or her one was fixing to go. And if I could, I was going to bring her out and show her to everybody because then I had a point to prove that this did happen to me. So I wanted everybody to believe it, and and I knew that was the best way to do it, showing them. Uh, Ben had a question. 
Oh yes. Um, well, actually, I was I was going to kind of kind of dig a little more deeply into other encounters, but we're kind of coming down to the wire here. Yeah, we're kind of uh, coming out of the wire. Uh, Calvin, uh, thank you. Fascinating discussion. We'd love to have you back, and uh, we'll be in touch off the air. Indeed. Um, I'd like to hear more about um, you know, some of the other things that we we mentioned and didn't have a chance to get to. So tell us uh, again about the book and the website. Uh, well, the book and where people can get it. One last time. Pascagoula. The Closest Encounter, My Story, Calvin Parker. Get it through Amazon. Very good. Now, Calvin, thank you so much for being with us, yeah, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you, and I'd love to come back one day. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, folks, uh, our 2018 speaking season is done, and our first event of 2019, at least so far, uh, will be at, uh, I guess it's an encore presentation at the Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut on April 23rd. Not sure what we're going to be speaking about yet, but we'll keep you posted as details develop. Uh, that was quite, uh, interesting last year. I think, I don't think you went last year, Ben, but it was a huge crowd and we had a, a great time. Indeed. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds has gone to the publisher. I'm told it won't be released for another year. However, uh, I, apparently there's been a lot of demand for it, so they're going to maybe, if they can, uh, move up at least the production of the book and uh, maybe get it out by next fall, and um, we'll just keep you posted on that. Uh, certainly our um, 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is available as an ebook on Amazon Kindle and Apple iTunes, and it's available in stores, too. Indeed, and you can also check out our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. That is available on ebook on Kindle and Apple iTunes, and it's available in stores as well. You can always get all our books in print form. Uh, you can order them online at either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com, and we'll be happy to autograph them for you. Uh, books include the second in our Behind the Paranormal series, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, uh, published last year and currently available from online retailers and from Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. And at BehindTheParanormal.com, you can find over... Uh, almost 800 shows over our, our many, many, many years, our public appearances. Uh, you can you can also check out our uh, shows, like I said, recorded from our 10 years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, also on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities we alluded to previously and that uh, Ben and I have adopted. This includes usacares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America and working on another one. Um, these are people we know who run these charities and we can certainly vouch for them. So Ben, what Indeed. do we have uh, for next week? So next week, uh, that is November 4th, finally we are out of Spooktober um, here on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. Uh, we'll be talking about strange creature encounters in Pennsylvania, something close to our own experience, and our guest will be one of the state's leading Bigfoot researchers, Eric Altman. Okay. Well, there we are. Uh, we will be in touch with Calvin. I think he's a fascinating guest, and uh, we're certainly going to have him back. I think this is a, an unusual case we'd like to uh, to proceed a little bit further with. Uh, so we'll leave you this afternoon with an intriguing quote from, of all people, Mark Twain. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. Interesting kind of distinction. Anyway, like I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. 
Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.